0: I love the to- quote from Tony Robbins, it's not a lack of resources, it's a lack of resourcefulness. Because there's, it's not like there's a lack of money, it's a lack of you finding a good enough deal that you feel confident enough pitching your investors.
1: This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Bridger, the time has come. Welcome to the Better Wealth Show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Caleb. going to so, be fun to talk today. Yeah. So full transparency, Bridger and I met a couple months ago. One of your team members hit me up in the most authentic way. I thought it was you, but it wasn't. And I, I normally don't hop on calls. You know how LinkedIn can be. It can just be all over the place. Um, but, you know, we got a call scheduled and like 10 minutes before the call, I like look you up and I go, dude, you are legit. Like you're doing some really cool things. And I got a little envious because like you can play the young card. I'm like used to being the only young guy that's like teaching people about money. I'm like, you're like doing it. So all I want to say is after our first conversation, I just fell in love with your message and what you're all about. And dude, I'm just excited that you're in my life. And I know that we even talked before jumping on. Of, of all the synergy that we have going on. And so just for you listening, if you want to find a better way to invest, like there's this thing called investment funds. I'm not going to teach you on it, Bridger is, but like there are better ways to take capital and invest it in the things that you care about. And we talk a lot on this, on the show about you being your greatest asset, investing in results, investing in the things you care about, intentional living, and all those same words get used by you and your community and what you teach. And so with that, man, I just wanted to build you up and say thank you. And I'm I'm like gonna be taking notes Caleb. My- yeah. What you have.
0: Yeah, that dude, I that was so funny how we got connected on LinkedIn the same literally before the call too. I was like, who am I talking to? Like, cause I my assistant had just set it up. And anyways, here we met and now we've hit this thing off. You've come in my program before. Now we're having you on my pro on your podcast. So this will be fun to talk today. So uh, but thanks so much for that great intro. And you've done incredible stuff too. Kudos to what you're doing. And and he yeah, Caleb, you came on to our mastermind group and program to our kind of inner circle group and taught all about different strategies. We're whiteboarding stuff out. It was like an hour and a half call. People didn't want to leave. We had you had to go. It was like this whole thing. So anyways, kudos to you.
1: Well, and it it's not shocking. Someone on that call was actually a client of mine and they're in your group. And that doesn't shock me because as you listen to this, like this is going to be downloaded and shared so much. I get hit up so often. This is, this is the question, Caleb, I'm i I'm going off of your principles. Where do I put my money? Where do I invest my money? I have a bunch of money in my and asset. I'm like doing all the things that you're teaching about. I know wall street's a scam. I don't say that by the way, but some people say, I say that. And it's like, where do I invest my money? And it's like, when, when I started getting introduced to what you're doing and diving into your course, and it's like, Oh my goodness. Like, so with that said, dude, what's your story? I want a little background. Usually I ask how your parents met just to get like the real context. Oh, wow. yeah. We don't have to go back that far. Um, but <laughs> I, I want, I think you can learn a lot by the origin story of why someone is doing what they're doing. And I care a lot more about that than, than the traditional bio.
0: Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I my name is Bridger Payton, guys. Hello. I am from Salt Lake City, Utah. If I started a fund in Salt Lake, you can start a fund wherever the freak you are. Um, so I was in Salt Lake though. I grew growing up, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial household. Um, we we grew up in a very average, middle class working family. My dad is an entrepreneur, um, drove a crappy car. I mean, an entrepreneur house, I mean, you make money, you lose money, and you kind of just it's up and down, right? And so, um, At a young age, I set a goal that I wanted to be a millionaire. I wanted to be wealthy. And yeah, I'd be, you know, I wanted to have a Lambo or whatever. That'd be cool. But also I wanted to set up a business and and be a millionaire so that I could help people around me, maybe hire family members that lost their job. A lot of people are losing jobs right now, right? Be that type of person that had a business that could pay for maybe family medical bills, a grandma or an aunt, you know, somebody got sick, or I don't know, buy a car for a random person. So I I set up on this journey. I, I also wanted to have time to be a great dad to spend with my kids, you know, and I thought being an entrepreneur would be the best way to get there. If I did the nine to five work till I'm 70 years old, I just, that's not going to cut it for me. Right. And I'll look back and live my life with a lot of regret. So I got into college um, at Brigham Young University, BYU, great school. Um, love it there. I went to work. I, uh, I went after it. I started six businesses in my first two years of school. Um, and these, by the way, these were not like Oh, like a business idea. Like, let's you know, this was like legit, like up and running businesses that were making money. Like, we had a tri- Chinese tutoring business. I speak Mandarin. Um, we had eleven tutors. We did online marketing. I did real estate wholesaling. I um, I did, I sold essential oils. I did, we anyways, all sorts of stuff, and we were making money. We're doing okay. And finally, my dad grabs me, and you'll hear about a lot of my dad today. Credible mentor. Um, he's like Bridger you're kind of like a chicken with your head cut off. Like you're going nuts. Like you need, you should go meet with one of my business partners. And I said, okay, like that's, you know, that's cool. I'd love to go meet with somebody. And he goes, I think this guy can help you a lot. So we set up this appointment. I drive to this guy's house and I pull up and I come through these, you know, kind of nice neighborhood. I pull up to a gated community, some bigger house. I'm like, where am I, where am I going? Like, who's my dad's business partner? Like we live in a very average house and an average car, all this stuff. And I, I was driving, I pull up this little hill to this absolute, just gorgeous home. And I park my car, I kind of double, je- double check the address. I'm like, is this, this is the spot, right? And I get out of my car, I walk into the door, I knock on these, this beautiful wood, like big, oh, big door. And I, I knock on it and I was a little worried like a butler was going to come and, you know, be gone peasant, like get out of here kind of a thing. So I, anyways, to my, thankfully my dad's business partner opens the door, Bridger, come on in, he welcomes me in. And I, um, I walk in, There's a beautiful grand piano and all this stuff. And I sit down on these big white couches and we start to talk. And I was, I was blown away by who this guy was. And I finally, I said, Hey, how did you get all of this? And I kind of pointed at everything like his big house. He had really nice cars. I mean, he's living the life. And he says, Bridger, you know, it's, it's funny. Not a lot of people ask me that question. And I was kind of like, Oh shoot. Like I uh, that's, that's the first question I had, right? I guess see, that's not property. Not supposed to ask rich people how they made their money. But I was like, so curious. I was like, how did you do this? Right. Cause I was struggling and he said, Bridger, I was, I was a lot like you in my 20s. I'd started multiple businesses. I had, um, you know, I was kind of like you i had done okay, but I then figured out the secrets of the wealthy. And I know Caleb, you talk a lot about this, what wealthy people do, just copy what they do, follow what wealthy people do. And what a lot of wealthy families do is they run funds or their kids go try to work at in private equity, venture capital, investment funds. And um, he's, uh, he said he's figured this out a decade earlier. And he goes, I decided that I was going to get in the fund space. And he I said, I'm going to copy what rich people do. And he goes, me and your, he goes, so about eight years ago, we started a fund, me and your dad. And we now manage $8 billion of real estate. And I was like, what? And to put that into perspective for people listening. Uh, so like everyone follows Grant Cardone, right? Yep. Cardone Capital, they have about $1.1 billion of real estate in their funds. Okay. Yep. At the time they had $8 billion, And now today as they're recording, they're at about $20 billion of assets under management inside their funds. They're huge, right? And I was like, I was blown away. I said, oh my, this is incredible. I want to learn. And I've always heard find a mentor, right? That's like the big, everyone tells you, find a mentor. So I said, hey, can you be my mentor? I'd love if you sat down and talked to me about funds, how they work. And he kind of laughs. He goes, Bridger, go talk to your dad. Your dad knows way more about this than I do. And I said, no, no, no. Like, come on. My dad's poor. We, he drives a crappy car. You, you're rich. Like, can you teach me? And he goes, Bridger, me and your dad, we make about the same amount of money. We're both the co-founders of these funds. And my job out dropped to the floor. I was like, what? And I, I left his house. I jumped in my car. I drove straight to my dad's house. I was like, dad, what the heck? Like, what's going on? Like, you're rich. Like, why haven't I been able able to order a soda at Chipotle for the last like eight years? Cause we don't have enough money, you know? And he kind of laughed. He goes, Bridger, well, I, um, I like to save and invest my money. My partner likes to spend his money. We just, we live different lifestyles and, and yeah, he goes, yeah, we, we run these massive funds. And so long story short, we sit down, my dad explained to me how funds work, the SEC compliance, how to raise money, the whole nine yards. And I, um, I was very interested about how to get into the fund world, how to do this. and the traditional route to get into the fund space is you go work in investment banking or consulting. And so I got on that path. I actually did an internship at a, a awesome firm in Silicon Valley. I had a six figure option uh, um, sorry, six figure offer, offer, stock options, bonuses, the whole nine yards. And I remember having this this offer in hand and I looked at the next 10 years of my life of the traditional route is, you work on you know, an investment bank for two years. You work 90 hours a week. You then do your MBA at a really good school. You then work at an entry-level position at a hedge fund, hopefully after college, and then you work your way up for 10 years, and maybe one day you'll maybe run a fund or start your own fund. And I thought, huh, it's a pretty interesting path, you know, 10 years. And I love the quote, people overestimate they can do in one year and underestimate they can do in a decade. And I looked at the next decade of my life, and my dad, though, and his partners, and a lot of people I've now interview on my show, none of them followed that path. They were on top of these massive investment funds, and they didn't do any of that. And I thought, I wonder if I take a different path. And so, uh, long story short, I found an opportunity at a previous company I worked at to start a fund and lend to some of their clients. And so, I sat down with my dad. We got everything organized, ready for this fund. And I, was, I turned down my six-figure offer. I'm like, we're doing this fund thing. And um, the, uh, <laughs> the one thing, though, you need for a fund is money, right? That's like the biggest, like, that's what a fund is, right? It's money. And so, and we'll explain that to some of your listeners, like what a fund is, but essentially everything you need for a fund is money. You need investor, investor money. And so I was like, shoot, how am I gonna raise money? And I thought, aha, I've got it. My dad is rich apparently and doesn't spend his money. He likes to invest. He likes funds. My dad, like he loves me. I, I He would love to invest my funds. So I, late Sunday night, I remember I walked into my dad's, Home office and I sat down. And I said, "Dad, I want to thank you so much for helping me uh, get my fund together, get all this organized and stuff." And I said, "How, in my best pitch voice possible, how would you like to be our first investor into our fund?" And he kind of laughed and he said, "Pritchard, um, I have the money to invest, but if I invest in your fund, I would ruin the experience of you raising money on your own, and that's a crutch that you'll never never able, be able to recover from." And he goes, "I." I'm not going to invest in your fund. You got to go do this on your own. And it was a big tough love moment between me and my dad. And I said, okay. I left that meeting. I went and hit the streets. And after uh, about three weeks of pitching, I raised a whopping $49,000 for my first fund. Very small. If you know anything about funds, that's like mega small. But it was enough to get started. And we we went out, we used that money. We were were doing these small loans. They're like five to like 10 grand a piece. And our first fund made back a 64% return to our investors. And since then we restructured, we launched our second fund. We've now deployed millions of dollars. We've grown a ton since then. We're looking to launch our third fund here pretty soon. And um, anyways, that's, that's how we got started in the game. And by the way, to date, my dad has never invested any deal, any fund, anything I've ever done. Um, Great mentor gives me any advice I ever, you know, any questions I ever have, he can answer it for me, but has never invested yet. And um, anyways, so that's what we've done and we've grown it since then. Now, and then to kind of continue the story a little bit, since then, since doing that, we've had a lot of people reach out to us, ask us, how'd you guys start funds? I had a few friends go meet with my dad and we whiteboarded things out and stuff. We said, hey, why don't we make some videos make a podcast, make something to kind of duplicate what we're teaching people. And then was born Investment Fund Secrets. So we helped, We try to pull back the curtain on the fund space. Most people think you got to work on Wall Street for 20 years, have an Ivy League degree to start a fund. We have dozens of people who haven't done any of that, that go out and start funds. Entrepreneurs, people like you and me that go out and just get stuff done. Uh, those types of people can go and start funds. So that's kind of the, the quick and dirty story. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's how we got started. That's how I got in the space. And uh, just to bridge that, I am
1: hosting an event at a restaurant and I got to like it's super cool restaurant and i I went and did a tour and I realized that there's forty investors and guess guess how they got all those investors hmm. it's just like it once you start seeing like once you start like w- when you get open to this idea you start seeing like there are things made possible because of the fund structure and i'll tell you what I'm so excited about is if you if you have fifty thousand dollars or more, you can go to attorneys and get this like you don't need anything of what you teach. You can work with people and maybe it's more money than that. I'm not sure. Yeah, but that's like, a good
0: that's a good price point. Forty, fifty grand. Yeah. Right.
1: But what you've what you've done is you're essentially like, I believe you're the only person out there that I that I see at least that have that have said, you know what? I'm gonna like share all the secrets. And it's like we're not I'm not going to be your attorney, but like, it's my understanding that like everything's done so that you can take what you've learned. And instead of paying 50 K pay, just someone to sign off on it. And you are literally giving people machines to print money. Like I, I, like, I don't want to overhype this, but like, when I started learning what you were doing, this is, this could be the worst thing that ever happened to me. Cause now I'm thinking like, there's so much opportunity, but I don't necessarily want to invest all my money because I'm building my company. But I'm like, if I had the knowledge, the specialized knowledge to be able to create a rapper, a legal rapper to create a win-win scenario across the board, like I just thought of a million opportunities. And I think that that could be a downfall for sure. But like, I just, I also would just want to like, let people know that's listening to this, like how special what you're doing is. Have you had people get very upset kind of that you're sharing all the secrets and
0: like that they're (laughs) mad? Um I don't, I don't think so. I've had a few um, Wall Street type of people that have, you know, that have done the investment route, and they're actually, it's more of their, they regret. They they regret. They're like, man, I spent 10 years working for the man, building someone else's dream and you're starting a fund. That was my goal all along. Right. And so that's kind of the feedback we get. And And back to the lawyer question too. You don't want a lawyer to also be your teacher because lawyers bill by the hour and they will happily explain to you anything you want to know as long as the clock is ticking, right? And that's why fund docs are $50,000 sometimes because, oh, you don't know what an accredited investor is? Well, let me explain it to you. Oh, you don't know what a 506B type of filing is or a 3C1 fund? Oh, let me explain that to you. And they sit down hour after hour, they explain to you, oh, these are your options for a fund. So what we do is we pull back the curtain. We give you every option for a fund, teach you about the fund space. So when you walk into a lawyer's office, you say, hey, lawyer, I want X, Y, and Z done in this format, done. And they're like, that saves them a lot of time. A lot of our students set up their entire fund for four or five, maybe $6,000. Traditionally, it's 20 to even $100,000 to set up your fund to hire a nice lawyer. So um, that's the the benefit we give. And then you all, then you know also what your fund does. You know the mechanics of funds. For different types of funds, you can launch and scale and tweak. It's you're gonna have to learn it eventually. You either pay, you know, someone like me, or learn it online, or pay a lawyer and pay that fee. You're gonna have to learn it eventually if you're gonna run a fund. So,
1: so what, one thing I'm really proud of is the people that listen to this are tend to be like up there in thinking. Like they they understand taxes, they understand the importance of control. A lot of them might have investments, but they're like very much um attracted to taking back control over their wealth they understand that they're their greatest asset they like so they also like are just open to this kind of stuff so what i would love to do is like let's see this as like a master class and i would love to get your like like from start to finish i'm coming in i i say dude i want to fund I, i i have this idea or i don't even want to take words out of you maybe it's coming up with an idea i don't know um I just have heard your Ferrari example and it's really, it's good framework because I think there's a lot of misconceptions, but like we're talking about funds and there may be someone that's like, okay, get to the point. Tell me like how this works. What's the framework? And I would love to do that right now.
0: Yeah. Let's walk through. Um, I call it the fund launch formula. Okay. So this formula is designed to help people like me and you launch funds um this is for the entrepreneur going out and launching funds and it's funny i've actually on my show and I, we have a podcast and stuff uh, we have a, i think 150 episodes something like that and i interview a lot of fund managers on my show that by the way no one is allowed on my show if you went to harvard if you did the ivy league route whatever you're not allowed okay I, I take only entrepreneurs people that did it unconventionally and so as you can see on my shirt it says wall street rebels right um so, and but it's funny they all used a very they they don't they don't call it the fund launch formula but they used the same formula, the same model, the same business plan, whatever you want to call it to start and launch their fund, to raise money to get investors. So, this is what it is. This is the way we beat out Harvard people. This is why our funds traditionally launch and do better. This is how my dad launched his funds up to $20 billion using this model. So, um step 1 for this fund launch formula, there's four steps. Um and we've tried to compile it down, you know, to four simple steps. And there's a lot that goes into that, obviously. Um, it's taking a big concept and compressing it down. So step number one, I talked to my dad about this. So a lot of people out there, they don't know where to start, right? What's the first thing? Do I, do I go find investors? Do I go set up my legal docs first? What do I do? And that's the step number one of anything. Cause a lot of people as well, sorry, before I go into this worry initially, if they're going to run a fund, okay, I don't have a track record. No one will believe in me. I can't raise money. I've never, I don't, I haven't worked on washing. I don't, I didn't go to Harvard, right? How am I going to do this? This resolves that for you in a lot of ways. So, cause he, I asked my dad this question. He said, Bridger, step number one is find an incredible deal. He said, so for example, and you mentioned the Ferrari example. Okay. So he goes, for example, imagine we found a Ferrari, me and you in Billings, Montana. It's a 488 Pista. It's amazing, right? Let's say there's a lady in Montana, she is going into bankruptcy, something's happening, she's willing to sell this Ferrari for $50,000 this Saturday, like check in hand, we've had a mechanic look at it, and just go, this is an example, just go with me, okay, and it's all checked out, this is legit Ferrari, like it's, it's legit, okay, and we have a verified buyer Monday morning in California that'll buy this car for $200,000, Monday morning, all done, they've already signed, like, hey, just give me the car, I'll, I'll pay cash, 200 grand, okay. My dad asked me this question, he said, Bridger, could you find $50,000 by Saturday morning? You can't use any of your own money. And I said, I kind of, I'll ask you guys the same question. I kind of thought about it and I thought, huh, you know, it's all, it's all verified. He goes, everything's verified. You'll make 150 grand this weekend. If you can just come up with 50 grand by Saturday morning. And I thought about, it. I said, everything's guaranteed he goes, everything's checked out. It's guaranteed. And I thought, well, you know, I thought about like a former boss or like a college professor or like a friend or a grandma or an uncle. I mean, anybody, right? I was like, you know what? I was like, yeah, I think I, think I could do it. I think I could raise. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. I, I was like, you know what? I think I could do 50 grand by Saturday morning. Said, all right. He goes, all right, let's say it's $100,000. Could you do $100,000? You're guaranteed to make 100 grand this weekend if you can just find 100 grand by Saturday. I said, I said yeah, I think so. And he goes, why? And I go, well, it's foolproof. It's guaranteed, right? It's, it's, it's guaranteed. The whole deal is already done. And he goes, aha, you just said it. And I'm like, what? And he goes, it's not, I love the quote from Tony Robbins. It's not a lack of resources. It's a lack of resourcefulness because it's not like there's a lack of money. It's a lack of you finding a good enough deal that you feel confident enough pitching your investors. And he goes, three minutes ago, you were so worried. Oh, I, I can't find investors. No one would believe in me all of a sudden. But all of a sudden you feel confident raising $100,000 by Saturday. And the reason was because the deal was so good. It was such, such an attractive investment. And he goes, that's, that's step number one. Find an amazing deal. Find, and, and when I say deal, it could be a Ferrari. It could be a, a house that you're going to flip. It could be, you're gonna go buy, I have a few guys in our group, they buy and sell Amazon businesses, okay? a few guys in my group, they go out and buy Almond farms. Other people go trade the S&P 500, okay? There's there's millions of types of funds. When I say deal, that's what I mean, find that incredible deal, or by the way, partner with somebody who already finds deals, they just don't have money behind them. You can go partner with people that already find these deals all the time. So step number one of any fund, the fund launch formula is find an incredible deal. Now, after you found the deal, Most people are like, Bridger, okay, I found the great deal. Let's go hire a lawyer. Let's do the legal docs, right? It's like, "Eh, hold on. Before you do that, step number two is frame the deal out, okay? So step number two, frame. What I mean by frame is create an Excel doc, walk through all the numbers, see how it's going to break out, uh, create a pitch deck for investors, create all your marketing materials, um, all that kind of stuff. And then step number three is go and pitch investors, But wait, Bridger, hold on. I don't have legal docs yet. How do I pitch investors? This is how you do it. This is how my dad raised their first hundred million dollar fund. This is what they did. They would go pitch. Let's, let's call it Mrs. Anderson. Okay. Mrs. Anderson's a wealthy woman in the area. She likes to invest in funds. Okay. And right as you're getting to the, her meeting her you know, her office, you see Mr. Harvard walking out and this is how Harvard people pitch. Okay. They say, Hey, we theorize in the next 18 months, we're gonna go buy some real estate properties. We're gonna flip it. We, we're so smart. We have our algorithm. We can go do this. Okay. And Mrs. Anderson would say, Great. It's a nice pitch. Thanks. My dad and his partner would walk in and they'd say, Hey, hi, Mrs. Anderson. Um, we're not from Harvard. However, we just found this deal in Miami, Florida. It appraised for $8.2 million, the real estate deal. We can buy it by the end of the month for $4 million. Distressed asset. Um, it's, it's a huge gain. I mean, you're smart. You've done real estate before. Look at the deal. And they would pitch the deal over the degree. And they would say, Hey, we're, you know, we're working on legal docs. Legal docs will be done in a couple weeks. But if everything goes well, can we put you down for $500,000? And what they would do is go get soft commitments from investors. And my dad told me nine times out of 10, the investor chose the deal, the tangible deal in front of them over the Harvard degree. And so what you do is you get the soft, commitments. step number three is pitch investors, get soft commitments. And then, and only then when you have this, the, all the commitments lined up, then, and only then go and hire a lawyer, do your legal docs. Um, if you come through us, it's like, I don't know, five, six grand, you can hire a lawyer for 30 grand, whatever, but then, and only then do your legal docs. And guess what? The best part is, is your investors pay you to build the fund for them because the fund docs are an expense of the fund. It's an asset of the fund. So you raised four and a half million dollars. Okay, 30 grand. It's a write-off for the fund. It's an expense of the fund because that's an asset for the fund. And so you're if you follow that strategy, your investors pay you to build a fund for them that they want to invest into. Now, and then going back to that too, Step so step number one, just to review, step number one is find amazing deal. Mm-hmm. Step number two, frame that deal out then go pitch investors. And then only if investors say yes, then go do your legal docs. Now on step number three, if investors say no, they don't like it. No one likes your deal. That's okay. Don't burn bridges with your investors or potential investors say, Hey, well, what type of deal would you like to see? Yeah. Or, or how would this look better for you? And maybe they'll give you some suggestions. Hey, you know, I didn't like how you pitched that. Part. I didn't like that. And You get feedback or they say, Hey, you know, I want to invest in, in X type of deals. And you can go back to the beginning. And find more deals. And guess what? You didn't waste any money. All you wasted was a little bit of time. And so the Harvard guys—they'll go spend thirty grand up front. They'll do it almost in reverse. They'll spend thirty grand up front, set the legal, and, and they hope investors will put money in. And guess what? If investors don't invest well, they are stuck with a thirty thousand dollar legal bill, and lawyers are going to get paid, right? So uh, that's that's a big concept, launching a fund, but down to four simple steps. Is step number one find the great deals two, frame it out, three, pitch investors, get feedback. Maybe look back at the beginning if you need to. And then, and only then, step number four, do your legal docs and launch your fund uh, from there.
1: I I love it, man. And I love that you start with step number one, because I think it's it's tempting to be like, do it the Harvard way. I'm going to start a fund and I'm going to figure out what we're going to invest in the fund and I'm going to get investors. And if you can go with the end in mind and say, I got this car that's worth 300. I'm not a car person, but like you, this car's worth 300,000 and I can buy it at a hundred. Like people can see like, that's, that's a no brainer. And yet there's a lot more opportunities out there that are way better than that. In and the they investment. look
0: past when you pitch a deal like that to just add on to what you're saying, Caleb, they look past your degree. They look past your age. They, yeah. because the deal is so good. And you say, Hey, you're smart poke holes in this deal, figure out why, why is this a bad deal? Yeah. And if they can't poke holes in it, you're like, well, then what's stopping you from investing, right? And they're like, nothing, right? And they put some money down. That's how I, I'm a, i am I started my first one at 22 years old. That's how I was able to raise money. Um, was the deal was so attractive. It was so full. It felt so foolproof and, and actually it turned out to be foolproof and it was actually really great. Um, as investors gave me money, took a chance on me and, and that's how we did it.
1: When, when someone comes to you and says, I love this, but I'm having a hard time with, with finding the deals, do you, do you politely say if, if that's something that you're bringing up, this is probably not for you because like, or, or do you find that the, some of the best people are like, I have a ton of ideas that could make me a, a danger because that's like, I, I have a ton of ideas. So what do you usually, what, what's your advice or conversations with people that struggle with point number one?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. No, that's actually a very valid point. And so for, for every fund, I wish I had like a little whiteboard here, but we, I'll use my hands. Um, for every fund, there's three distinct roles of that fund. Role number one is your expert investor. Okay. It's imagine like a circle, I guess the expert investor circle. This person is amazing at trading cryptocurrencies or this person's amazing at buying and selling real estate or buying and selling Amazon business, whatever it is. Okay. I, I call them broke geniuses a lot of the time. These are people, they're not broke, they make six figures a year. They do okay, but they don't, they have no clue how to set up a fund and how to raise money. They just like to do their investing, right? So that's circle number one. Circle number two is your fund manager. Okay, your fund management circle. This person does legal compliance operations, SEC, I mean the all just knows how to set up and structure a fund. And then circle number three is your money raiser. Okay, this person could go out and find and pitch investors. So so the three circles, you have an expert investor, fund manager, and then money raiser. So for instance, my dad, okay, co-founder of a $20 billion family of funds. I make fun of him all the time, publicly, like on this podcast. He does not know a lot about real estate at all. I mean, he's, I ask him real estate questions and he's like, I have no idea. But he has partners who understand it. When he set up his first fund, their, their first big real estate fund, they're going to raise $100 million, Okay. They went out, my dad said, hey, I'm a very good operations guy. I know how to run a fund. I know SEC. I know how to do capital calls distributions, but I don't really know how to do their stuff. So he went and found a money raiser who was an incredible money raiser. This guy has, he has billionaire friends. I mean, he's spent the last decade of his life developing his network. He goes on trips with Tony Robbins all the time. I mean, this guy is very well connected. However, he's like, I don't know how to run a fund. I don't know what to invest in. I just have connections. What do I do with them? Right. He said, hey, come partner with me. And then, he th- and then those two went and met a bunch of real estate house flippers. They said, hey, you guys are flipping, you know, they're flipping properties or whatever. Yeah, you, you guys make a little bit, you know, a couple, you know, 100 grand a year. How would you like to make some big money and go in the big leagues? And they said, let's do it. And so they partnered together and they all brought the three pieces together and have scaled like crazy. Uh, No one does this alone. No one does all three pieces. I mean, some people do all three pieces, but to grow a huge company, any, not even funds, any company in general, you need people, right? Uh, Elon Musk has no clue how to build a car, launch a rocket, any of that, right? Elon Musk knows how to build teams and to create a vision and get people behind him, right? That's all Elon knows how to do. Same with the fund. If you know how to structure a fund, build a team, you can do a lot of that stuff. Now that's option number one. So if you're like, I have no clue to invest in, partner with someone who does. Okay. Um, and then number two is, um, in our, I kind of go through a framework of how to find niches, how to find places. Um, actually I did a whole call this morning on how to find deals and the two, the two examples I'll give people. It's actually really fun. um, fun exercise to do. Number one is imagine you had unlimited money and, and nothing could, nothing, no deal was too big doesn't matter if the deal is $500,000, $5 million, $500 million, $5 billion. Just imagine you had unlimited money. What would you invest in? And hey, you're walking on the street. Hey, this pizza joint is doing well in your city. Hey, I can go buy that pizza joint, right? And start thinking that way of where is money just a solution? That's how I started my first one. I, I literally thought about that for, for months. Where could money just be a solution? And then number two, to find deals and find types of deals you want to do tell everybody you have a fund. Tell everybody you have money or you have access to money. You say, hey, you know, I know how to, I know how funds work. If I find a good deal, I have access to plenty of money to fund deals. And and you'll be surprised how many deals hit your inbox. Every week I probably get two dozen deals that hit my inbox every day. Bridger, I've got a deal in New Mexico. We're flipping this 30 story building. Hey, I've got a deal in, in Dallas. We're trying to sell this business. I get on so many, cause people, I have a fund, and I, I would, I, I tell them, Hey, I usually don't do those types of deals, but I want to see deals just send them my way. And I get to shop around deals. And finally, our third fund, we actually saw a deal come across my desk. I was like, that's actually a really good idea. And we called around, not a lot of people fund these types of deals. And we're like, done, let's set up a fund and do this types of thing. And so we are looking to deploy 70 to hundred million dollars in, in this new niche that we found that a lot of people don't go after. And so um, that was, a, I got a quick and dirty rundown of how to find deals. So number one. Partner with somebody who already has the deals. Number two, um, if you want to find them yourself, imagine you have an unlimited paycheck. Um, your investor is looking for yield. And Number three, tell people you have money. Tell people you have access to money, or you're looking to launch a fund, and you'll be surprised in the amount of deals that flow your way. Oh, I, I love that
1: man, and I I identify with number two. Um, everywhere I go, I'm like doing okay. What's the cost of this building? What's the cost of labor? What is like I? It's it's annoying, but I love it. I can't turn my brain off, and that's it's just again. I think I'm I'm delusional, but I I think I'm un- have unlimited money, which I don't. But it's it it's that personality that you're always looking. One of my favorite one of my favorite quotes is the golden rule: "Those who have the gold make the rules."
0: Exactly. It's yeah. like
1: it's it's that's kind of a mentality that you need to have. Um, when it comes to you talk about a lot of successful funds are co ownership. Um, I know that co ownership comes with ups and downs pros and cons with you and a lot of your students do you find that do you find that there's three owners just them what's a a typical way and then and then i'm wondering if if you're willing to get let's let's get into like the different type of funds Mm -hmm. and like like if someone was to do this by themselves like where should they look into um i know that you also have a lot of training that i'm going to point people to but like where like number one your students, are they doing it solo? Are they partnering what's common. And then let's, let's get into the,
0: yeah, I, I think it's different for everybody. Um, most people I see though, do not do it alone. Okay. Um, they have at least one other person. And so those three roles that I mentioned, maybe two, the two of you can cover all three roles. Maybe yeah. it's six people and you have a slice of a role, right? Um, it's usually not just one person though. Um, scaling a fund. Mine has been primarily just me. Um, I've done all three sectors. Now I've, I've brought in other people, another, a few other partners, um, one in particular to help me do the deal part of things. Yeah. Um, and I focus on the fund management and money raising in my fund, but most people I see, especially with big, big time funds do not do this alone. Um, those three aspects. So, um, now I, there's not like a formula, there's not a framework, but the nice thing about funds is this. A lot of funds, uh, especially close ended funds, they they last, let's call them seven to 10 years or they last five years or four. Years. They have a timestamp on them, a lot of funds. If your fund doesn't, you don't like your partnerships or relationships or something, just something doesn't work right, you can always launch another fund. Right. And not, typically, yeah. you'll, you start with fund one. It's just a test. Let's test it out. And then fund two comes along. My dad, for instance, I'll tell you a story about my dad. They had, I think, I want to say 14 partners on their first fund is a lot of partners. And they held everyone accountable. Everyone had their equity split out and they said, Hey, a year from now, we're gonna have a meeting and we're all going to vote on each other's equity. And you are eligible to lose half of your equity if you don't hit certain benchmarks. And everyone agreed to it and signed it. And he said, one guy, the first year, just, he was doing other stuff, had another business, whatever, didn't do much. He lost half of his equity. They then launched fund two and he got, I think he only had a very small slice of fund number two and then fund three, he got left out of. Uh, now my dad, they have 107 funds they currently manage. Okay, so each fund, and now they have about 13 investment theses. They, um, they will break out different management teams and different ownership for each fund because they're all separate entities. So um, they, they do multifamily, they do office buildings, opportunity zones. So like for instance, the multifamily team has different ownership and they have the, the guys that are really good at fund. they get equity of that business. And then the guys that are really good at office, they get equity of that, but they don't get equity of the other one. They have a few, like my dad and a few others are general owners. They get equity of all the funds. Um, but that's a beautiful thing about funds is you don't, have to, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's not like you're launching Facebook. Like if you're launching Facebook, you got to figure out your equity, like really good up front because yeah. it could be big. Yeah. With the fund, you can keep tweaking and changing that equity over time as you launch and scale new funds. And, um, so I, I always tell people it's way better to just get started, get moving. It's better to have 1% of something than 0% of every 100% of, of nothing. Right. And and so just get going, get started, you you know, give people a shot, um, and go for it. So that's, that's kind of what I tell people to do don't, so don't get too hung important. up on equity and, and right. Slow you down. But,
1: but it is, it is important to at least know how it works. And that's it. Your, your course yeah. really goes into the fund management and the fundraising doing it in a legal way, because I'm in a world where regulation, like I, I'm very aware of that being an issue. Um, and so you're not necessarily in the business of like, here are the deals though, just by being in your world, you're going to be you're going to have opportunities, but you're teaching them everything they need to know if they wanted to do it by themselves to manage and raise and do
0: it in a legal way. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. yeah. We, okay. we go very deep on the fund management. We go, yeah, very deep as well on fundraising. And then we also give, we give examples of how to find your investing niche. I can't tell you what to invest in, but I can give you examples of these are different opportunities in the space. Go, you know, go look at these opportunities and here's what the, the market looks like.
1: Yeah. And I just, I want, I want people to know when I talk about, you know, obviously have your emergency savings, but anything above that, I call opportunity. This, this is your opportunity count. When, when I talk about opportunity count, that's like, that's like your mini fund and, mm-hmm. and what you're teaching people is how to not just take your money. Cause I think you would recommend to have some skin in the game, but then how to like yeah. expand that leverage. I think leverage, quite frankly, we're, this is a form of leverage. This one conversation is going to be broadcasted and thousands of people are going to watch it and listen to this. That's a form of one to many. Same thing goes with our wealth. Um, So let me like play devil's advocate for a second. There's, you know, I've heard banks sometimes will have a hard time with funds. Accounting, you're starting a new entities. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of different funds. And I personally know people that have gotten their hands slapped because they haven't done this the right way. So I know that there's people that are listening to this that like the idea. And what's even a little bit on my brain is like, okay, love it. And it's like, like, it seems like a lot of work. So I would love for you to like, talk about the different types of funds. Is this just, is like, do banks give you a hard time? Like, what are the mosquitoes in the scenario? You know,
0: in the oh, campsite? Yeah. yeah, Let's dive into it. Yeah. So, and, and to your thing too, um, people ask, well, you know, is it hard to run a fund? Yeah. Yeah, it is. But it's worth it. Right? Yeah. Like, I love Steven Schwartzman. He's the co-founder of Blackstone, his great book, whatever it takes. Um, and Blackstone, by the way, $350 billion fund, one of the largest funds in the world. They own Ancestry.com, Caesars Palace. I mean, they, they own like everything. Um, they're just the behind the scenes. Same with like cake and all these big funds. So he and he, his famous quote, just like it says, it takes just as much work to run a, a small business successfully as it does to run a large business successfully. So why not go after the large business? It takes the same amount of work. Same thing I would say with real estate. It's the same amount of work to flip a $300,000 house as it is to flip a $30 million building, okay? One of them just makes you a lot more money, right? And so with a fund, yeah, it takes work, but it's worth it. What name me a better vehicle to spend your time in making money than running a fund, right? Some of the wealthiest people on the planet run funds. And so, um now, you mentioned some of the mosquitoes. I think it's a good example of some of the mosquitoes out there. Um, yeah, so banks is a good one. Banks will give you a hard time. Um, sometimes they just, if they don't understand what you're doing, you have to, I, when I was setting up my first fund, um, I went and met with Chase and Wells Fargo, a bunch of banks to set up my bank accounts. And I, I had to uh, pick and choose the banker I would sit down with <laughs>
1: because
0: to, for them to understand what I was doing. Sometimes, like I had one, I went to Chase, for instance, Chase Bank, I sat with a guy, we talked for 30 minutes and I, I I think it's my fault. I probably didn't explain what we were doing very well to him. And he just kind of said, I don't really understand this. I don't like it. I don't think it. And you know, we're not going to, we're not going to help you. And I was like, shoot, I blew that. I didn't even realize that they could turn away people. I thought banks would love my money, you know? And so (laughs) I went to Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo, I did a better pitch and and they helped me set up my bank. And I I think I explained it a little bit better. And and Wells Fargo set up three other accounts for you too. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So there are uh, some banks that are more friendly. I know US Bank is more friendly. Um, Anyways, there's a few other banks that are more friendly to funds, especially. Um, But they, I mean, they want, I mean, funds, it gives them a lot of capital and they can use that capital to make, They can make loans. I mean, they, they want your money. Um, don't, you know, just so you know, they, banks want your money. Um, yep. A few other things accounting wise, um, it's just a little bit different accounting. So you have to just hire a fund accountants, people that understand how funds work, how to manage and run funds. Every fund is different as well. A hedge fund is drastically different than a private equity fund or a venture capital fund on how you account for things. So um, for my fund, I went and, and put out a job for people that have worked in fund accounting before. Um, you also have third-party softwares and admins you can hire. Uh, this is a great thing too. They do it all for you. You you pay them, it depends on, you know, they're anywhere from like three grand a month to a hundred grand a month, and they will do everything for you. I mean, accounting, that, that middle fund management piece, they manage all of that for you and they, they do it for you. Now, you might say, well, that's expensive. You run a fund. It's yeah. a cost of business. 100%. Like you write yeah. it off. It's, it's, you run a $100 million fund? Yeah, let's spend hundred grand a month on a software. Great, you know? And they, they come in and they manage your capital calls and distributions. They make sure it's all done right. They're a third-party auditor. I mean, the, the, the beautiful thing about funds is you have the money to pay people to hire people to scale, right? Right. And to well, do it. Also,
1: um, also, I just feel like you give people a really simple way to raise money because, like, we're talking—you could have a hundred investors, but could you not just have like one or two, and it just creates a clean way for them to invest in you? I don't. I'm speaking out. I don't know if that's true. No, it's it's very true.
0: I I wouldn't. You probably don't need a fund admin software and stuff like that until you have, I would say, fifty even a hundred investors. Yeah. I have. I have. I don't know. 12, 15 investors, somewhere around there. It, it just, it keeps changing. <laughs> we have investors coming in and stuff. Um, I don't use a fun admin software. I do it all myself on Excel. We have my team and guys and our accountant. We, we can figure it out. It's pretty easy. I think when you get over 50, maybe a hundred investors, that's probably the time when you probably should get a fun admin software. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, it's, yes, there's things to figure out. It's, and I, I love the analogy I give. And I think it helped me a lot was it's like American football. Okay. If you had never seen American football before, and you walked into an NFL, to the Panther Stadium, you sit down, you'd be really confused, right? They got a fourth down, a punt, an intercept. I mean, like, you're like, what is this game? Like, this is wild, right? Yeah. And you'd probably get kind of annoyed and probably leave, right? You're just like, I don't understand. This is so annoying. But if someone came in and sat down next to you and explained the rules of football for, I don't know, 30 minutes, mm-hmm. right? you could figure out the rules and probably figure out some strategy and understand how the whole game works and probably might like it. Right. It's the same thing with funds, right? From the outside, looking in on funds, man, that's, that's complex. I could never figure that out. And if you have someone like me or I I had my dad sit me down and explain funds to me and I was like, Oh, it's actually, it's actually not that bad. It's not that hard. And once you understand the rules, you can play around with them and have strategy and understand, you know, how to set up a successful fund. And so um, that's what we try to teach people and share with people. So you're going to see
1: where my core competency drops off, but let's let, let's try this out. So I love that example because if you don't know the rules of the game, this this whole money thing is is a disaster. Why do you think America's broke? You know, so, uh, so when I was first, when I first started in the money space, I loved options and I wanted to do a hedge fund option trader, mainly because all the guys that I looked up to were billionaires. And I'm like, no one knows who you are, but it says that you're a hedge fund manager. So I'm like, that's that's cool. Like, I wanna I wanna look into that. Um, so I know that there's an accredited investor and there's non-accredited. And real quick, accredited investors make a certain amount or have a million dollars net worth, not including
0: their house. Yeah. So so yeah, the the SEC has classified different types of investors. Okay. There's actually four four different types. So. The, um, the bottom tier is just non-accredited. You just don't fit into any category. You're just too poor to reach to any categories. The first tier up is accredited you just mentioned. So you have a million dollar net worth or you make $200,000 a year or $300,000 a year with your spouse, okay? And that puts you into a pool called accredited investor. And there's a few, I, I'm going quick, but there's a few more things there. You can actually, they just loosened up the regulations on that, Um. For a lot of funds, uh, you, you have to be at least a credit investor to invest in those funds. So That's why a lot of funds don't appeal to, you know, small time players that don't make a lot of money because you can't, like by, legally, you can't even invest in their funds. Above a credit investor, you have a qualified client is the next one. That is a, uh, you have a $2 million net worth, excluding your home. And then above that, you have a qualified purchaser. And that's a $5 million net worth. And there's, there's a few more things I'm going quickly, but there's a few more things that go into that. That's kind of the basics of them. So you'll hear on CNBC, there'll be a fund manager on there and say, Hey, he goes, we only take money from qualified investors and you think they mean, Oh, a credit investor. That's not what they mean. They mean a qualified client or qualified purchaser. And there are certain rules that you have to follow that some funds can only take money from those, those investors. And so that's, that's, for example, one of the different rules. And so my fund, I, my fund right now, I only take money from qualified clients. People have to have a $2 million net worth to invest in my fund. Um, and so anyways, those are just a few different categories of different types of investors that, that you can have.
1: Is there, is there a reason why you went? Is it just ease of use and you, you weed out the, the wrong people? Or is it actually, diff, is it regulated different the higher investor, it, the more money the investor has because the assumptions being made that they, that they need less regulation.
0: Yeah. The reason the SEC does that, and this is kind of just overarching for the, so the SEC, by the way, is securities exchange commission. They manage anything. I would say finance, right? Any buying and selling some securities. So they will, they are, they are the governing body of that. So they especially regulate funds because we're selling securities. So uh, with that, the SEC, their biggest goal is to protect the little guy. They hate more than anything, if you are a slick talking fund manager and you go pitch grandma, grandma puts in her life savings of $20,000 and you lose it, the SEC is going to be all over you because they're like, you screwed grandma, right? And this is bad. And however, they say, the reason they have those regulations, they say, hey, if you've made at least a million dollars or two or $5 million, you're smart enough. You understand how money works. And if you lose some money, it's not that big of a deal. And so they, um, it takes the, the liability off of you by taking accredited investors or above or qualified clients or above. It takes the liability off the fund manager because when they sign their documents, they are saying, hey, I'm, I'm smart. I'm a sophisticated investor. I know what's going on. And so they, you know, if you're a scam artist or whatever, um, sorry, you know, you're, you're a smart investor. You should have known. Now, the SC gets very involved if you're taking money from grandma. So, for instance, um, you see some new funds that have popped up, like Grant Cardone has a fund, right? And I believe, that, is Fundrise, is there, uh, they, I think they have a program that they take from
1: non-accredited investors.
0: Yeah, so there's some funds, they're, they're called crowdfunding or Regulation A funds, they do different things. Fundrise is one, Cardone Capital has one of their funds. And they are highly regulated. Got it. Um, because of that, so if if you you can do it, yes, you can do it. You just need to have they're they're regulated similar to a public company. So a Got public it. company has quarterly statements, yearly. I mean, they are they to publish the street, you have to have an army of accountants to do that. Um, but yes, you can do it, and that's Cardone Capital Fundrise does this for non-accredited investors, and you are you are scrutinized heavily by the SEC because that, they don't want you taking grandma's money and losing it.
1: Is that under Regulation D?
0: Um, it, i don't know exactly how Fundrise is filed. I know cardinal capital there's there's a regulation c f Reg, regulation crowdfunding, and then also regulation a is the other okay. one. Those are typically ones that they use for crowdfunding okay. uh, the crowdfunding space so um, so what
1: you're you're yeah. saying is you almost defeat the purpose like this is not this is a way to oh, let, let me rephrase that question when you meet with people instead of funds, majority of people in your group are probably getting from accredited investors and above.
0: Is that a correct statement? Well, and the reason is this, is, yeah, it's cool if you want to give back to the world and help young people invest, you know, whatever. But it's a lot of work to take non-accredited investors. Um, For example, my first fund, I took non-accredited investor money. It was one guy, he gave me five grand. And and there's one rule, I can can take 35 non-accredited investors in my filing, whatever I was doing. So I took one guy, he, he gave me five grand. That Friday calls me, Bridger, how's the five grand doing? I'm like, doing good. Like we're, we, you know, we just got it like yesterday. Okay. Awesome. He calls me Tuesday, the next Tuesday, Bridger. Hey, how's the fun doing? What's going on? I'm like, bro, it's been like six days. Like we're, this is a, you're going to have your money in for three years. Like you understand this, right? It's three years. You're gonna have your money with us. So yeah, I just, I'm wondering, he called me again that Friday and I just said, Hey, you're out. I'm sorry. This is not worth it. Um, And he, cause he was like, well, I, I, Hey, you know, how's the, I, I got to pay my mortgage. And I was like, Hey, this isn't for you. Like yeah. if you're worried about your five grand, you're not ready to yeah. invest in a, in a fund. And yeah. so I kicked him out and, and I only take money from qualified clients now. Um, the nice thing is, I mean, these guys write me a check for a hundred grand or 500 grand or whatever. They don't even think about it. I don't talk yeah. to them. And it, and it takes the weight off of my shoulders a little bit too. I, yeah. and I have money I put in, I have a couple hundred grand right alongside them as well. My personal money. But if I, let's say the fund crumbled, that might be a lot of people wondering, what if you lose all this money, right? If I lost all this money, right? Our entire fund goes to zero. Okay. First off, um, I, the investors would probably be mad at me. I would say, hey, I lost a couple hundred thousand dollars too. Um, yeah, yeah. But secondly, it, just to, for me internally, those guys are going to be just fine. Yeah. They're going to live the exact same life they've lived before. They're, they make plenty of money, right? They're, right. they're not going to- They're fine, right? Now they might be mad. The SEC might come and investigate what happened. Was there foul play or something? But if I if I didn't break the law or anything, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, that's what that's the risk of investing. Um, but uh it it takes the weight off of my shoulders a little bit. Like, okay, I'm I'm not trying to lose money, but if I do, these guys are very wealthy, they're gonna be just fine. But if I lost by one buddy his five grand, yeah, he would have hated me forever. Um, we would we probably wouldn't be friends the rest of our lives. I mean, it would have been bad. And so And it's five grand. Yeah, I mean, and dude, I can I
1: can relate. The our best clients that we have have the most money with us. It's like it's it's like how does and they they take less work than than the people that have almost no money. I can one hundred percent relate, dude. I could talk to you all day long. I have one more question because I think it wraps it all up. Let's say you're listening to this and you don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars, but you like see the fund, you get what you get what you're saying, and it's just like this is amazing how do you make money if you don't have any skin in the game? Like I've seen you present this cause I've been, you know, I've seen your work about yeah. how you as a fund manager are incentivized to do well. And I just like, and I'm going to, I'm not going to answer your question for you, but like almost like walk through like this certain amount of money goes back to the investor. Then yeah. there's like a, there's something in between. And then it's like a, a rev share. Like, I feel like when I learned that it just clicked because Uh, And another thing that I'm a little foggy on is like when you have multiple investors, like how that all works. And I know in your course you, you cover that, but I just think it it really helped me understanding like, wow, there's, there's a lot of upside and it's such a win-win for the investors and for the hustler that wants to start a fund.
0: Yeah. Let me, yeah, let me walk you through this. This is why fund managers make so much money. Is this what I'm about, about to share with you? And this is why, I mean, you have multi-billionaires that run funds. So um, how a fund works, you guys, some people might be listening to this like, well, Bridger, well, it's a two and 20 fund. It's so simple. It's a little more complex than that. Let me explain it to you. Okay. So imagine a timeline of a 0% return or IRR, internal rate of return. That's kind of how we measure things, but we'll just call it a return. Okay. 0% return all the way up to, let's call it 20, 22%. Let's say we're targeting a 22% return in our fund. Okay. How does that get split out? So let's say this year we got a 22% return, the entire fund. How does that split between myself, the fund manager, and their investors? So typically in a fund, you have the first bit is called the PREF or Preferential Rate of Return or Preferred Rate of Return. And for our fund, it's 8%. So the first 8%, so it's 22%, the first 8% goes directly to our investors as a PREF, okay? And that's, that's all of it. And I tell my investors, hey, I don't make any money unless you make at least 8% first. So investors like that, right? Now, so first 8% is a pref. And you, by the way, it's, I'm going to use some fun terms. You can use this with people when you're talking about funds. It'll make you sound smart. Um, okay. So first 8% is the pref. Next 2% is called, for our fund, it's 2%. It's called a catch up. Okay. So the ninth and 10th percentile come to me, Bridger, as the fund manager. I make money. Okay. So if we, if this year we got a 9% return, let's say we did, you know, we didn't do as good. We got a 9% return. The first 8% would still go to the investors. And then I would only take just the ninth percentile, the 1% there. I would do a little bit worse. Okay. So back to the example, and I I love having a whiteboard. I wish I could draw this out, but 22% return. Okay. First 8% of the investor, next 2% to the fund manager, me above 10%. So we're at 10% now, 10 to 22. We split 80, 20. 80% to the investor, 20% to the fund manager, me. Okay. So on that, uh, that whole thing, uh, I think in total, it's 17.8% comes to the investor. And I think it's like 4.4. I'm I'm trying to remember this off off the top of my head. 4.4% comes to me as the fund manager. Okay. Um, So that's how it's broken down. 22%, 4.4% comes to me. So
1: first- first eight goes to the investor. The next two is what you call the catch up. And that's, that goes to the manager, which mm-hmm. could be you or it could be partners, whatever. And then yeah. the, the next, um, 10% is Anything at above 80,
0: that we do 80, 20, yeah. at
1: 80, 20. So you could, you could double their money and you get 20% of that. And they, and they're still, they had the best year of their life.
0: Yep. They take Definitely. home 17.8. And, and now you might be sitting there, Bridger, I'm not here to make 4.4% on a fund. And that's, by the way, that's called carried interest. That's kind of the key word. it's called carried interest. Like Bridger, 4.4% four percent—that's nothing. No, yes, you are. You're here to make 4.4% because you're not making 4.4% on your own money. You're making 4.4% on the entire fund. So if that's a $100 million fund, you just made $4.4 million. If you're like Steven Schwartzman, they have a $350 billion fund. 4.4% on $350 billion is pretty good, right? On other people's money. It's a lot of money. (laughs) The the ultimate OPM, like other people's money strategy, right? Is running a fund. Um, And that's called, now now funds can tweak this, okay? That's a typical fund. My fund, if we get above a 20% IRR, we start splitting 50-50. Yeah. So I take home more money. The more, the higher returns we get, the more money I take home. So my first fund I mentioned, we got a 64% IRR. Okay. So first 8% still to the investor. Next 2% to me, we did 80, 20, 80, 20 until 20% IRR. And then we went 50, 50 for, so from 20 to 64, we split 50, 50, 50 and I took home a nice chunk of change. Right. Um, some funds like Cardo, they do also, you can do, you can do a 70, 30 split. You can do a 7% pref. I mean, you can tweak those numbers inside of your offering docs. Now, somebody listening might say, well, Bridger, what about management fees? Right? There's always a management fee. Now, a lot of funds will charge somewhere between 1.5 and 2.5%. So we'll just call it 2% management fee off the top. Okay. So that's even before your pref. The first thing taken is like 2% to the fund manager. Okay. Now, if you're going to charge management fees, you need to have a license. You need to set up a registered investment advisor, all that kind of stuff. My funds, I do not charge a management fee. I only charge performance fees, which for two reasons means, number one, I don't need a license and I, I can go into more detail about that. I don't need a registered investment advisor. Also though, my investors love that. Yeah. I say it's hey, value. It's, it's, it's like, awesome. It's yeah. yeah. I don't make any money unless you make at least 8% first. I'm going to work all year. And if you don't make 8%, I don't make a dime. Does that sound fair? Yep. And they're like, yeah. yeah, where do I sign? Right? Yeah.
1: I would like to say that there's some people that listen to this that understand leverage because one of the big things that I teach is how to leverage your savings. And people are like, why would I, why would I borrow to use my own money? You're not borrowing to use your money. You're borrowing to use someone else's money while well, your money grows. And so yep. like people that get their eyes open to this, they're they're like, this is this is right up their alley. So, here's here's one thing that I I like. I begged Bridger to do this. By the way, we are going to be creating some more content, including a case study between like what we teach at Better Wealth and what they teach. How you can take the and asset and the Better Wealth like philosophy and combine it with a fund, just because I, I very much feel like your it goes hand in glove. And so uh, I know that, you're, that you've been really kind and you're going to set up a whole landing page for that. Yeah. Um, and so check out the link below. It's going to be something like investment fund secrets slash Caleb um, yeah. or it might be betterwealth.com slash Bridger. I don't know. Check out the link below because I'm just excited for the content and the case study. And I know that you have a lot more details that go into actually how to even get started.
0: Yeah, we could talk for an hour on here. But hopefully, yeah, that hopefully that gives you kind of a quick and quick and dirty overview of the fun world, this fun space. And what Caleb, what you're doing is amazing. I think it's I've I've heard a lot of your content. I think it's that's awesome. So that's why I've wanted to partner up and yeah, so we'll have I think yes, more videos and I think it'll be investmentfundseekers.com slash caleb and uh, you guys can go check that out.
1: Cool, cool. Now, okay, I anything else you want to I mean, I I feel like I could go another hour and I'm not gonna do that to our audience or do that to you. Anything that was like lacking. That's
0: like that you want to mention before I go into my last question? Um, yeah, finally, I would say just on entrepreneurship in general, if you're okay if I share just a little yeah. thought. I am, I, I am very big in entrepreneurship. Whether you start a fund or not is not going to change my life. I think it's an incredible vehicle to make money, but just entrepreneurship in general is declining in this country. And it, it pains me a lot. And because entrepreneurs are the ones – that have changed the world more than anybody i love this i have this great graph um, it, it shows gdp of all, all these countries like ghana you have nigeria india china and it shows gdp and entrepreneurship the moment entrepreneurs start doing stuff gdp soars the moment entrepreneurship dwindles gdp which is gross to make the product the total you know revenue from a country dips drastically the fastest way to get third world countries out of the third world is entrepreneurship. And I am I am such a, I don't know, I just, I, I love it. And I think it is asymmetrical risk. When you talk about um, investing, a lot of times we'll talk about asymmetrical risk. And a lot of people think high risk, high reward, low risk, low reward. In my world, in the fund world, it's not that way. The reason we have funds is because we say, hey, Mrs. Investor, we found a pretty high return with a relatively low risk. We can hedge our risks and by using XYZ strategy and active management, that's how what we pitch all day. Entrepreneurship is the ultimate asymmetrical risk. It is super high reward. You can be a multimillionaire, billionaire, have impact, change the world. If, if a lot of people are talking about social change right now. If you care about charities, organizations that you like, as an entrepreneur, you can do more than anything to, to help them and and change the world. If you're working a nine to five all day, you can't do much to change. If you're an entrepreneur with millions of dollars, you can do a lot to change the world. And um, lastly, this is something my dad drilled into me for years was he's like, Bridger, there are people, everyone knows people like this. They moved here from Nigeria or Mongolia or India or China or Korea, wherever they moved to America, I'm talking the United States and they barely speak English. And in four years or five years, they've got a laundromat, they've got a restaurant and another business set up. we have got three businesses in like five years and they barely speak English and they're making money. They're doing well because they realize the opportunity that we have here, especially in 2020, 2021 with how the internet's done. You can learn anything on YouTube. It It is at your grasp. There's never been a better time in the history of the world to launch a scale of business. You have so much return with relatively low risk. And what I mean by low risk is there are so many safety nets in America to catch you as you fall. Hey, if it doesn't work out, guess what? There's bankruptcy. It wipes all your debts clean. Hey, if that doesn't work out, you have Medicare, you have charities, you have, There are so much safety nets to catch you before I, when I say fail, I mean like you're broke homeless on the street without, you know what I mean? Like that's what I mean by fail. It's, I think it's hard to truly fail through all those nets. Um If you wake up every day and you try and you just keep going and I um. I know everyone has different backgrounds. I know everyone has a different story, but I, it is true. You've heard a thousand rags to riches stories, especially yeah. in America. And I'm just such a proponent, like just to go after it, whether it's funds, I think funds an incredible vehicle, um, using the and ass, I mean, using your personal wealth to grow. I think it's, it's an amazing thing. And, um, yeah, there's going to be some rocky road along the way, but it's, it's it yeah, the like, scariest thing. The true failure is when you're 90 years old and yeah. you look back and you say, Hey man, when I was 25, I had, remember I had that business idea. I didn't do it. Yeah. And then 35, I was going to write a book and then ah, I didn't want to do that. And then when I was 45, I was going to join this company, but then I just, ah, I didn't want to do it. And I kind of wasted my whole life. Yep. That to it, me is the scariest thought on the planet is a life full of regret. And so that's the, that's lastly What I'll say, I guess is, is live a life. Not great. Get up to the plate. Keep swinging the bat. Yeah. You're going to strike out, but maybe you'll hit a single, a double, and maybe hit a home run. Yep. And people listening to you right now know why I'm such a huge fan of you because that
1: at the end of the day drives me like I being someone who's wants to make a difference more than just money I know that if you have a successful platform business you can not only make a difference in your investments life as in the fund or for me like in our clients lives but you can take that profit and go help so many other people and dude in a hundred years we're both going to be dead maybe not mm-hmm. we'll see what they have with technology maybe someone can start a fund on biohacking and longevity yeah. but but the point is like that was the same thing. I didn't have, I didn't have a six-figure offer, but I, I walked away from a very cushy corner office investment department gig because of my one soul, like, I don't want to regret life. And I also, I couldn't really articulate. I'm really glad that you said this. I also knew it's like, I had the family that would not let me be on the street. Like, I might lose it all and I would, I would lose a lot of like ego, but I would, my family would never let me starve. And yet, two, three years later, I'm like, I am living my dream and don't get me. It's so hard. It's a hard work, but like we're, we're on the road to making true impact. And so, man, I, I, I love you, man. I'm, I'm grateful that you're in my life. I'm grateful for the work that you're doing. And uh, I really, really appreciate you sharing that.
0: Yeah, Caleb. I totally agree, man. Um, And thank you for having me on the show today. Um, This has been awesome.
1: Before we go, we have one last question. You, you pretty much answered oh, okay. it. You like hijacked your, your leverage on this last question. Last question is okay. the legacy, legacy question, which is, this is your last day on earth. I don't believe you have any kids unless you're hiding some from me. So no, you're, no. you're with your future kids and the, the people that you love the most, but like, let's, it's just your life experience today. Mm-hmm. And this is your last conversation. What are you going to make sure to transfer to the people that you love the most in the life that you've lived?
0: Hmm. That's a good question. Um, i had like five things popped to mind. So maybe I'll share like one or two of them. Um, number one was something my dad taught me. And I, I mentioned my dad a lot today. Incredible man, incredible mentor. I remember he, uh, sat down with me and we had the birds and bees talk when I was like 12 years old. Okay. So we're talking about like sex and all this kind of stuff. And I was 12 and I'm going to middle school, right? And he's giving this talk. And he finally says this, he says, Bridger, he says, you know what, if you go to middle school or high school and you have a girlfriend and you get her pregnant, you know, at 16, right. And you come tell me about it. He goes, I won't be mad at you. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, of course you'd be mad at me. Like, he goes, no, honestly, He's like, I'll be calm. I'll be fine. You know, we're gonna have to work through this. He's like, your mom, she'll freak out. She'll be furious, right? But he's like, I promise I'll be calm. And he goes, same thing. If you know, if you get hooked on drugs or alcohol, and you're 20, whatever, you're an addict, and you can come tell me about it, I'm not going to be mad at you. We're going to take you to rehab. We're going to help you in every any way that we can. Um, but just know, you're the one that has to live that life. And he goes, I, you know, I, I'm here. You can see my life. I've got a house and a car, and this is my life. And um, this is, you know, this is my life. That's the life you have to live. Now he says, on the contrary. If you go to school and do well and get good grades and, and, and become a successful businessman or doctor or someone great, great in the community, right? And you live in a big house on the hill one day with a beautiful wife and kids and he goes, that's your life. That's the life you get to live. It's not my life. He says, Don't do anything in your life for me or your mom, other people. Do it for you. He goes, if you want to be a, a ballerina dancer, by all go do it, right? Go do whatever you want to do. Just do it for you. Don't do it for other people. Don't do it because of X, Y, and Z. Do it because you want to do it and you want the outcomes of that. And that conversation changed my life forever with my dad. Um, I started going to school. It was seventh grade. I went to school because I wanted to go to school. I got good grades because I wanted to get good grades because I knew that would help my future down the road. I think it's too many kids and too many people do stuff to please other people. They, they become, they go to law school because they, they know that'll make their parents proud of them they, they, uh, in in middle school, they go, you know, they, cause their parents force them. And that put me in the driver's seat and said, this is my life and I can choose whatever I want. And I remember one time I got a 4.0 GPA and I ran home. I was like, dad, like, check it out. I got a 4.0, like all A's. Right. And he was like, cool. And I was like, oh, I was like, yeah, that, I was like, huh, that, that straight A report card is not for my dad. That's for me. That's my report card. And it just gave me ultimate ownership of my life and my happiness and what I want to be. And, um, that one conversation changed my life forever. And and it was a huge, I think still this day, I think about a lot of, of doing stuff for me. Right. And this is, uh, this is what we're doing. So that would be the, I think the, the one thing that sticks out is, is huge. Um, and, and just being, you know, being true to, to what you want to become looking forward, looking at, 30, 50 years, where do you want to be in 50 years and backtracking to that point and doing it for you? That'd be uh, my final thought.
1: I, I love it, man. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for like dropping so much wisdom. And I'm, I'm excited to create more content and really help people create funds because I want a fraction of the impact, It's not equity, but the impact of what's going to happen through empowering people to really take ownership of their life. So thank you. Um, and I'm, I'm excited for what the future holds.